Hey you, it's time to unboss. <laughs> Guess who's back? Better than ever. Let's go. We are unbossers. We do it for the love of people and business. Your change makers for human organizations. This is yours truly, Nick the Unbosser. Let's go. Join me and my amazing guests. And unboss with me, unboss with me, unboss, unboss, unboss with me, unboss with me, unboss with me, unboss, unboss, unboss with me, unboss with me, unboss with me, unboss, unboss, unboss with me. Hello, my dear changemakers. I sure hope you are ready to unboss with me today because we have yet another amazing guest on this podcast. His name is Bruno Sirletti, and he is the VP Cloud and Digital Business Lead for the Western Europe region at Fujitsu. And it's exactly that part of the business that they decided to radically transform about two years ago, inspired by the Rendan Huey philosophy, the Rendan Huey business model philosophy of hire. If you think Fujitsu hmm, sounds familiar on this podcast, you are right, because episode 35 is a conversation with Juan Domingos, and he is the lead for the full entire Western Europe region, so he's basically Bruno's boss. Now, the conversation with Juan was more from a strategic perspective, whereas with Bruno, we really go shoulder to shoulder, deep in the mud of the core and the midst of the transformation. So we talk about how they actually change the structure, how they change performance management, how they change budgeting, what his favorite thing is about being in this transformation, what his most difficult moment was so far in this journey, what he has learned, what he thinks are looking back on two years of transformation, the critical capabilities and skills of people leading these very autonomous micro-enterprises in the organization and how that works within a broader global corporate structure and many more. So if you are interested in what it's like to be in the midst of such a radical transformation, then the story of Bruno is definitely one for you. Enjoy. So ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is brought to you thanks to the gift economy. Here's how it works. We gift our energy, our time and our insights into making these podcasts. And you, dear listener, you get to choose what feels right to give back to us. It's as simple as that and it's truly amazing. So please take a moment after listening to this episode and reflect on what would feel good for you to give back in return and help us continue creating this amazing content. Here are some top of mind ideas of what you could do. You could subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channels. You could leave a review. You could recommend it to a friend, even make a small donation or become an actual sponsor of the show. For more information, please check out www.unbossers.com. And now, without further ado, here's another inspiring episode of our Unbossers podcast. For the love of people and business.
I already started recording, Bruno. Sorry, so you'll you'll see me drink. No, I mean <laughs> we need to keep it cool with these uh, hot temperatures, right? It's crazy here. Um, let's dive right into the conversation, Bruno. I know you're a you're a busy man currently, um, and maybe for our listeners, tell us three things you absolutely need to know about you. So I'm Bruno. I'm a very international person. That's, I think, it's really what defines me. I'm Italian, was born in Denmark, grew up in Belgium, lived in the UK, in Portugal, in Sweden, in the United States, and I'm sure I forgot in France, in Italy, I forgot many other countries. So I think that I'm somebody who's very international. Then I am somebody who loves his job, but doesn't think that the job is the only thing to life. So I think that... uh, I mean, the the motto that existed uh, probably 10, 20 years ago, which is uh, work hard, play hard, I think it's uh, it's what I like. Uh, So I like like my job, and I don't think I could be in a job that I don't like, but the job is not everything in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, Even when I'm in, uh, I would say, high-level positions, I have my weekends, I have my holidays, and I normally don't work uh, during weekends. I really try to separate work life from, uh, from my real life okay well it's clear bruno international work hard play hard yeah. great, great intro and um where do we position you at fujitsu so what are your main activities there so i have two jobs at the moment but uh, let's take the main job which is my real job the other one is an interim thing so i manage uh, our cloud our digital and our cybersecurity businesses for western europe which is six countries for us, France, Spain, Portugal, Netherlands, Belgium, and Luxembourg. Okay. On top of that, at the moment, I'm the acting general manager for Fujitsu France, but that's only until we find a successor for the version. Okay. And so when our listeners might have picked up uh, in the media um, things about the transformations of Fujitsu is doing, I think your uh, area of responsibility is right in the center of that transformation, right? Yeah, it is indeed. I mean, the, the, the company has to transform. So Fujitsu as a company has to transform where we used to be a boring managed services, IT player, big contracts like the, this 10 years contract that you have. The world is changing. We're going to digital. The world is going to cloud. And we as a company had to change as well. So my, uh, um, the person I, I, I work with or I work for, uh, uh, Joao Domingos has asked me to really help the transformation of Fujitsu to this new player that we need in the in mm-hmm. world. Yeah, we already had uh, Joao on the podcast uh, yeah. uh, for the, let's say, the, the high-level uh, picture of the transformation. And now we have a fo- this follow-up uh, uh, with yourself really leading uh, being at the at the center where the action happens uh, of this transformation. Um, so, am I right that you started approximately two years ago with the transformation? Yeah, yeah. two years Something like that. Now, yep. <laughs> so. Yeah, could you describe Fujitsu or the area that you're transforming at Fujitsu before you started the transformation? How would you uh, describe? Okay, so. I'm not a politician, but I will answer a slightly different question, but you'll see why. So Mm -hmm. Fujitsu was doing this managed service. So managed services is basically we run IT operations for our customers. 
And these are very long contracts, very, I mean, high value contracts. We could be talking five, 10, 15, 20 million contracts that run over five years and these sort of things. And in a contract like that, the important parameters is you want to avoid risk. If you give me a million per year for the next three years to perform a service, if the service costs me 800K a year, I make money. If it costs me 1.2 million a year, I lose money. So I have to predict how many resources I will need to do the job. And that thing, I mean, inflation can come into play, uh, the complexity of the solution, the changes in the market, a lot of things can play, can come into play. So we had a business that was risk averse with a very heavy governance and very slow to move. So that was Fujitsu before we initiated the transformation. Okay. Company that was specializing in this sort of market, making money and very happy. Then what happened is that the market is changing and these contracts don't exist anymore. When you move to digital, when you move to cloud, you tend to see incremental deals. So while we tended to have these 20 million deals that take sometimes one year just to assign a contract, things have changed. Now you have much smaller business and it's incremental. So you will win a 20K business here and then from 20K becomes 50K and then, oh, I, since you're doing this job well, I'll give you 100K, but speed becomes the essence. So in the old business, it was risk averse and its risk avoidance was the key to the success. Now we're in a new market where speed is a key to the success. And that was the challenge we had. This is how can we move when we have people and organization, everything that's geared towards this old world, and now how are we going to operate in the new world? So that's the challenge that... Yeah. Uh, well, and, and could you identify a symbol of that risk aver adversity in terms of a process or whatever? That, you say, yeah, that was really a symbol of that old way of working. Well, our, our governance meeting. So every time you have a deal, you have to go to a series of governance meetings, which are phases are called bid no bid. So first, you need to decide whether you're going to bid or not for a piece of business. Then after that, you have the bar, which is business approval review. So can I make a quote to a customer at this price? Then you have the car, which is contract approval review. Then we have the detail of the contract. In all these meetings, there were 20, sometimes 30 people who are part of the meeting, who all have to give the approval. So extremely slow moving, uh, very, I mean, and you can imagine that if a person from HR has to give their approval, probably that had required five meetings between HR people to get to that thing until we get to these meetings. So it was this very, very heavy governance. It's time consuming. And this meeting, this endless meeting with lots of people. So this is the old world that, uh, that we had. What was the... Uh, just a side question what was the effect of that type of governance meetings on the people in the meeting people in the in the proximity of the people in the meeting and the customers that people it's i mean the number one thing that that i noticed is diluted responsibility nobody makes decisions because there's somebody else who's checking And in the end, you create a very static organization where everybody's saying, well, I will approve if uh, this person approves and et cetera. And you create a very static organization because of this governance where nobody makes a decision because everybody makes the decision. Mm -hmm. And so it's lack of empowerment and that gives also lack of speed. And also, I would say, probably also lack of engagement from the people. 
somehow responsibility and engagement are correlated with each other right yes uh it's 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 sometimes scary to take responsibility and at the same time it is that what almost gives color to your life uh from the moment you have some responsibility and i think for having kids for example is a beautiful example of that um it is but okay. I, i think that there are people who i mean i personally love to take responsibility and make decisions And so I was frustrated in this old environment. I was frustrated because you cannot make any decision because it has to go to this process, this governance, and everybody has to uh, give approval. So you have the impression of not deciding anything. So the, the failures are not your failures. That's great. But the success is not your success. It's mm -hmm. the success of the system. And that's not very motivating, to tell you the truth. Yeah, true, true. Um, I recently read... Um, a research article specifically on that and especially linked to middle managers mm -hmm. that the reason that they are, um, well, the least happy uh, bunch in the organization and often the most depressed, most risk on burnouts is because it's very difficult for them to celebrate success and link successes of the organization to things that they've accomplished Um, and apparently that was one of the variables that had a big impact on their personal well-being uh, in the company. I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. um, how would you describe your, the current transformation you're doing to your grandchildren? <laughs> to my grandchildren? Uh, they're still to be born, so that's going to be difficult. But anyway, to your children. <laughs> to my children, that's a, that will work. So what we try to do is that instead of this big governance, we try to create small teams of individuals pretty much all at the same level, so without hierarchy, and empower them with decision-making. So that's what we changed. We gave people the, the authority to decide on a number of things, not to decide on everything, but on as many things as we could. We gave them the authority to decide. So that's one important part. The second important part is small teams to which you can identify. I mean, nobody can identify to a team of a thousand people, but here we created a team of 12 people or less, and then you can identify to the team. It's, uh, it, it's really cohesive as a team. So first thing is empower, cohesive because of small team and no hierarchy. So one person is the lead, but is he or she is not the manager. She is the lead, but it's more in the primus inter pares uh, type uh, of, uh, of um, hierarchy than saying he or she is the boss. No, okay. we have a so team and everybody at the same level. You decomposed the complexity of uh, a, a, a big system with many people mm. into um, small modules Um, that com combined make up the big one, but are easier. And so you decreased complexity because you decomposed uh, the, the system into smaller units. So yes, and so yes, that's what we did, but we did not do it for the whole system. Hmm. That would have been too complex. So it's not that we took the, let me count, in Western Europe were probably four to 5,000 people. I didn't, we did not take the 5,000 people and say, okay, let's, them, let's break them in little cells of mm -hmm. people and uh, 500 cells of 10 people, that's 5,000 people. We did not do that. What we did is for part of the business, 
which was very small at the beginning, we said, okay, this part of the business will run it in a different way and it's going to be these teams that will run it. Mm. And, so and how do you decide, decide which part of the business? What, was the, what were the decision variables? It was the, uh, as I was saying at the beginning, it was the cloud and the digital business because they required a different model. Ah, okay. So, yeah. this, so uh, 10 million not... deals and said, now yeah. you, are, you can just self-approve a 10 million euros deal. Uh, that's a yeah, fine yeah, deal. Yeah, we yeah. did not say that. We said, okay, this new business that was we were incubating, it was a business that was starting. We said, okay, you know what? For this business, we're not going to set up a team like we used in, to do in the past. We're going to set up a different team, but we'll give you full empowerment mm -hmm. to make a certain number of decisions. Okay. So in terms of structure, what changed was um, you decomposed into smaller teams um, and delegated a lot of uh, authority to take decisions to the teams. Every team has a leader, um, a team lead, but there's no really um, a functional hierarchy uh, in the team nor between the teams. How about performance management? How did that change? So performance management, so there's two aspects to performance management in our systems. There's one which I think it's inherited from the, uh, from the past and has changed, but we did not touch it initially. And that's the, I give you a rating at the end of the year and you are... Yearly right. evaluation process. Exactly. Yeah. So that is something that we did not touch at the beginning, but that we've changed now. So this does not exist in the company, but that's throughout the company. So Fujitsu has stopped performance evaluation and that's mm -hmm. I think was long overdue it's not because I'm supposed to be your manager that uh, I have to tell you hmm, you did a bad job this year so that I think is a thing of the past and that thing has disappeared but then there's another process which people tend to value quite a bit which is how much money will you get at the end of the year and uh, and that one What we did is that, first of all, every person has a fixed in the micro enterprises, which is the name of this new structure, every person has a fixed and a variable salary. The proportion can change because if you're in sales, you used to have maybe 30 or 40% of your salary that's variable. If you're in delivery, it's only 10 or 15%. But everybody has a fixed part and a, uh, a variable part. And for the variable part, what we decide is that everybody in the micro enterprise has the same objective. So everybody fails together or everybody succeed, succeeds together. We'll not say you succeeded, you failed, etc. Because that would break the team spirit. So the idea was to say, you know what? You will fail together or succeed together but you're together in this. And that had a huge implications because I think that that was really part of the, uh, of the team spirit that we managed to create. Oh, really? Yeah? Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that when people have the same, I mean, You could expect the opposite behavior, like if a person is not performing and all the others are performing, they will actually say, hey, you, you're actually bringing the team down. But we did not see that happening. No, no, no. That. Yeah, that's also my observations across different organizations. Um, and also from a psychological uh, um, perspective, the world in itself is a, a very complex place with a lot of opportunities for teams to attack. Mm -hmm. And so... Goal setting is also a way to reduce that complexity and, and to say, okay, out of all these opportunities uh, and impulses, we are going to focus our attention on uh, that goal. And so um, imagine that you have 10 people and they all have different goals or individual goals. You just do not decrease the complexity no. to interact with the world and which is something you do. And so from a psychological standpoint, it makes things much easier. 
because everybody is uh, focused on the on the same the same thing um which it speaks for itself but often it's uh, it's not the case in corporate organizations um what about budgeting is that a process that you redesigned reinvented changed Hey, Changemakers, I really hope you are enjoying this conversation. We will continue right away. I just have this one important thing I want to share with you. So listen up. You probably noticed that all of our conversations on this podcast are packed with tons of best practices, insights, and tools. But unless you're taking notes, and even then, you're probably forgetting most of it. And that is why, together with our premium customers, we co-created a super useful Unbossers notebook with all the key insights and tools in one place. So just go to our website, www.unbossers.com and download the digital version of this notebook for free. And for only 25 euros, we will deliver a printed version of the notebook to the address of your choice. So help yourself, support our cause and go get that notebook. So not enough initially, and we're trying to um, to make up for that. Initially, the objective setting was top-down, and we did not change that initially. Now we're trying to change this. It's very difficult because of the corporate governance that we have in uh, in our company, which is still a multinational, although we're trying these new business models. But so initially, I mean, budgeting was made in a top-down way, which is, okay, cloud, you know what, you're doing 100 this year, the market is going is growing at 30%, you have to grow faster than the market, you have to make 140. End of story. Very top down. We're trying to change that. Um, so we're trying to involve the people in the decision making, but it's very difficult mm. because of the constraint that we have from the corporation. So the way we're doing it is more, you're 100 now, assume that you would need to be at 140 next year, what would you need to get there? What's missing today? Mm-hmm. So that's the approach that we're taking because we could not go, go to the full, you full make your objectives. Beyond uh, budgeting, uh, yeah. shorter we're, we're, cycles, things like yeah. that. So uh, an additional question then, Bruno, because this is this is a context which 100% of your peers in other corporate organizations experience as well. They have a scope of control that they can change mm-hmm. uh, and which they do. And then there's yeah the, the the global context of the corporate organization, um, and and I, I'm very curious. If I, I see some of your peers getting really demotivated by that. Like this is something we cannot change, and I see it impacting my my the change I want to make. And I see other peers that are more in an acceptance kind of acceptance, like hey, we can't change everything at the same time. Let's just focus on what we can do. And in the meantime, continue pushing for changes at uh, other levels of the organization. In which group are you and, and, and what would your advice be to other peers? So I tend to be in the, I mean, one of my sayings, my favorite saying is that a problem you cannot fix is a data point. I use that all the time, and which means that if there's something that you know you cannot fix, you can say it's a problem, I hate it, uh, you cannot change it, it's a data point. You have to make up with it because it's there and it's not going to change. So that's, I would say, it's probably 80% of my attitude. And the 20% that are remaining is that in terms of background, I'm a salesperson. That's where I did most of my career. 
and there's also a way, a way to sell. So in, sometimes it's selling internally. So there are things that the, the corporation is not ready to make, but then you have to understand why they're not ready to make uh, these uh, these changes. Who can influence? And just do your your power map and decide. Okay, if I need to influence this person who owns this decision, who can I talk to in the organization that will be able to influence them? So you can mm-hmm. do. A- of, uh, of that so okay. it takes quite a bit of effort but you can change some things even when you think that they cannot be changed hmm. okay what's your favorite thing about the transformation so far so when when we started the transformation we had three metrics one is financial of course we need to make our numbers the second was was employee satisfaction and employee engagement and the third one was um, customer satisfaction. And we increased on the three. If there's one thing that I can say I'm proud of is that we had three metrics. We said we need to improve. And there, there were no numbers, by the way. I think that uh, Joao, who you, who you know, just told me you need to increase here, here, and here. This is your job. And we increased on the three of them. And wow. that's what I'm very proud of. And, uh, and Keeps me happy. Do you believe that that's because they're related? So if employee yeah. engagement goes up, customer satisfaction goes up, if customer satisfaction goes up, financial results go up or? Completely. And yeah. it's a virtual circle. And on the other side, what was the most difficult moment in the transformation so far? That we had, I mean, in the models I've described, I think that the number one thing, the number, I mean, the, the, the most influential factor is probably the personality of the team lead that I was describing. That, we found, is the most influential factor. You can have a team of superstars. If there is not a leader in that team, it will not work. Somebody who has this, this leadership. And in some cases, we picked the wrong person. And in some cases, we had to let the person go. So in some cases, we could replace the person in, and put them in another job. In some cases, they said, no, I don't want another job. I want to stay there. No, you're not the right person. And in the end... We so although it. there was no hierarchy, they did have a perception of hierarchy and they didn't want to give that up. The, the There was that. I mean, some of the people, the problem was exactly that one. Some of the people, it's just that uh, they probably were not in the right profile, you know? Yeah. Not everybody is a leader that goes for new things. There are yeah, people. What, what's your definition of, of, of a leader and, and what are the main characteristics that a, a person should have to take on that role of team lead in a structure like we are discussing now? I think there's two things. One is you need to have a vision and then you need to have the capacity to have other people follow your vision, although you're not their manager. And it's two different skills. The vision skills probably speaks more to your left brain, which is, I know where we want to go from here. And the other one is a people thing, probably speaks mm-hmm. more to the right brain. And I think that you need these two skills to be a great leader in a micro enterprise. Yeah. You, and the, uh, the second point you make is, is also a very fascinating one. Like how do you influence people to go into a certain direction without having the managerial authority which you typically have in a hierarchical organization and um, have you seen these people that I mean to think of uh, 
and although he was the manager in the case, but I don't think he needed to be. Think of Steve Jobs. I don't know if you if you have listened to Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. You want to follow him. He says something. This is what we need to do. You want to follow him. You say, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Mm-hmm. So these people that have a vision and a way to share this vision, share this passion. Mm-hmm. These are the true leaders. They don't yeah. need to say, you do that, you do this. No. They just give this vision in such a clear, articulated way that you just want to follow them. Say, yeah. Okay, I'm I'm here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, okay, not everybody Steve Jobs, but but you have people who have this capacity to just transcend people, and people want to follow them. Well, you say not everybody is Steve Jobs. I do believe that everybody is passionate about something, and when they express that passion, mm-hmm. it will resonate with other people who share that passion and and are willing to contribute to manifesting it some way or somehow. And the other thing I was also thinking was. Um, it's just really an insight in the, in the moment when you said it is that maybe shifting towards uh, doing the transformation that you're doing could be very scary for managers because then they would have to lead by vision and with the people skills and not by managerial authority. And, and did you experience that yourself when you went from the, 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 the old Fujitsu into the, the new role? So I didn't experience it personally. I mean, I think that I've been a manager for probably 30 years now, 25 years now. So, I mean, I don't need, I mean, uh, I don't need to have a big team. I don't need to uh, to give orders. I'm, I'm past that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm old enough for that and I'm past that. So, I mean, the fact that, uh, okay, now I, it, I have to inspire people more than give orders doesn't bother me at all. Some people... I saw it was a problem for them. I mean, people who were managers in Fujitsu, especially people who have been a manager for a short amount of times, people who had three, four years of management experience. And we said, okay, you know what? Now you're not going to have a management attitude. You will have a leadership attitude. And this is what we expect from you. Some people struggle with that. I had people who say, no, but I still want people to report to me into the system. Mm-hmm. And were they supported in any way? Like uh, were there learning opportunities for them? Were there coaching opportunities? This is a mistake that we made, I think. Mm. It was available, but it was at their request. Mm. We never said, because of this open model, we said, okay, we're not going to force training on two people. That's an interesting paradox, because on the one hand, you know, it's definitely if you've already been working as a manager in the the hierarchical model for a couple of years, there is some unlearning to do, and this is typically very difficult to do it by yourself. On the other hand, you're going towards a model where you're not imposing things on people. So, yeah, and that's... Um, How do we impose that? And say, okay, now we impose you to go to a training. Yeah, it's a, there's a paradox things. there. Catch-22. Exactly. Yeah, and that's why we, we decided to just give a catalog of classes that people could follow. Mm-hmm. But some of the people who had problems never followed the classes that would have helped solve that problem. Okay. But we, we never forced it onto them. Okay. Um we're approaching the uh, the end of this fascinating conversation, Bruno. Um, and I, I think I have two, mm, call them um, uh, fun questions. Okay. So, what do you what do you think people at all levels of organizations, corporate organizations, don't realize yet, or don't realize enough yet today? The number one thing in my mind is that we've been for probably the last 
since 1974, probably now in 1975, so the last 45 years at least, in a market where the companies have an advantage over the employees. So today you're a company, you say, if the worker is not happy, I'll take another one. And that was the case in the industrial world. It's been the cases with the high unemployment rates in the early, I mean, in the, since the 80s. And now the world is changing. Because the demographics, the world is changing. And the employee is king. And I think that many, many, many organizations haven't realized that the, the employee will become king. So I'll give a very silly example. But uh, in the region where I am, I'm in southern France, I know tens of restaurants who had to close because they could not find cooks. They could not find waiters. And so they had to close the restaurant. Because in the past, you would just pay them whatever money you wanted to pay them, and you would find people because people would, would come and, uh, and work. But then people decide, oh, I don't want to work when other people have fun and come back home at one o'clock in the morning after being exhausted. I don't want to do that anymore. And now restaurants are struggling to find people. And what are they doing now? They're increasing the salary. And so I think that the market, and this is happening now with a few jobs. I mean, waiters is certainly one type mm -hmm. of job, cook, but also in my industry. Like uh, if you're a consultant, a uh, very skilled a cloud consultant, you can find a job tomorrow. So I think that companies have to make their employees fulfill in their job, fulfill themselves in their job. Otherwise, they will find nobody. And they will find that at some point they, they cannot grow because they cannot find enough people. So I think that companies have not realized yet that the employee is becoming king, if not king yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great one. And um, if you would be able to send one tweet to all your peers who are thinking about this type of transformation or are, are in the transformation, what would that tweet say? Be bold. Try things and adapt if not successful. Mm -hmm. You have to try things. And not everything that we tried was successful, believe me. A lot of things were not successful, but hey, that's how you learn. Mm. So that would really be the thing is you have to try things. When you want to when you want to change a company, there's so many parameters that you don't fully master that I mean you cannot say, okay, this is the exact model and we'll do it exactly like this. Let's try thing, and it will come, and people will tell you, "Hey, why don't we do it in a different way? Why don't we try this? Just try it." Mm -hmm. and, and, and and how did you? Were if you say, "Well, there, we tried many things, and 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 there were definitely things that failed." Um, when those failures happened, did you still feel safe? I, I mean, you as a person, psychological safe in in your role, or? Uh, backed up by the organization? Did you work on making sure you're backed up by the organization? I think that I'm super lucky because I have full trust in my direct manager, João Domingos, and in the person above who manages all of Europe. So I knew that, that I was never at risk. Hmm. I knew do, it. Do you think that's key? I, I think it's, it makes life easier. It makes life less stressful. I think that doing the changes that we've made in Fujitsu without this strong relationship with, uh, with senior management would have been a risky job and would probably have caused some stress in the process. So I think that this relationship is, is, is very important. 
Okay. And I think it's a contract between you and the uh, and the senior leadership of the organization to say, I'm going to try things. Some of them will fail. Some of them will succeed. And let's go. And mm-hmm. either, yep, I trust you for the, for doing that to making the best choices and go ahead. And that's what uh, what you need. Okay. Well, I think that's a, a great note to end the conversation, Bruno. Super. Thank you for taking the time thank and you, thank um, really f- looking forward to releasing all this wisdom and experience uh, with the world. So super. Thanks. Thank you, Nick. It was a pleasure for me. Okay. So that is a wrap for this episode of our Embossers podcast. If you liked it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all our future content for the love of people and business Keep unbossing. <laughs> <laughs>